انسألت القدس على ولادها قولولها ولادك بالشيخ جراح وانسألت غزة على نهارها قولولها ما ضلل إلا النزاح انسألت القدس على ولادها أولادك بالشيخ جراح إن سألت غزي على نهارها This is the third and final uh, part of my special episode on the Kurdish-Palestinian relationship. The song you just heard is Raja'in or We Are Returning by Nai Barghouti. Nai released this song after the Israeli occupations, uh, occupation forces decided to confiscate the houses of Palestinians in Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood of Quds, uh, East Jerusalem. This led to a new wave of Palestinian resistance and street protests erupted in every corner of uh, occupied Palestine. Nai dedicated this song to all the Palestinians displaced from their lands since Nakba, which is uh, uh, the catastrophic uh, exodus on the dispossession uh, campaign of Palestinians in 1948. You can find a link to an, an article on the Express Tribune uh, to a list of uh, Palestinian musicians who echo uh, the Palestinian resistance uh, in the description of this episode. For this part, I decided to publish the audio file of a talk by the late Professor uh, Amir Hassanpour 
about uh, Palestine and the necessity of building uh, stronger solidarity movements uh, for Palestine. This talk was presented in 2012 at the annual general meeting of Independent Jewish Voices, which is a grassroots organization based in Canada that, as described on their website, uh, quote, is grounded in Jewish tradition that opposes all forms of racism and advocates for justice and peace for all in Israel-Palestine, end of quote. I have posted a link to the video of this, uh, this talk in the description of this episode. As I said in the introduction of the first part of this episode, Professor Amir Hassanpour was a longtime friend and comrade of the Palestinian people and their struggle. And uh, more than that, uh, I would say he was an outstanding example of uh, solidarity with Palestinians among Kurds. I should mention that the quality of the audio file uh, is quite poor and what you listen here is uh, with uh, some uh, modification to improve uh, the quality but the original video as i said is posted in the description here it is and uh, i hope you uh, enjoy it so let me begin by uh, briefly telling you about my background uh, i was born in a kurdish city mahabad in uh, kurdistan uh, the part that's in iran and uh, I, this was a center of Kurdish nationalism, and I grew up uh, as a Kurdish nationalist, actually. Uh, the Kurds are uh, one of the oppressed peoples of the world, and uh, there has been a discussion among Palestinian intellectuals about whether the Kurds are more oppressed than Palestinians, or the Palestinians are more oppressed than the Kurds. It's a very difficult question to answer, but when I went to Israel uh, for the first time, I had no uh, doubt that the Palestinians are more oppressed than the Kurds. Uh, I think I consider myself fortunate that uh, early in my life, at the age of uh, about uh, 20, three, 24 years, I began to depart from nationalism, to say goodbye to nationalism and learn about internationalism. It opened up a new world to me. And I gradually found out uh, how problematic nationalism is. I'm saying this in spite of the fact that I know that nationalist conflict is a major trend in the world. And uh, many of us in the world are in one way or another engaging uh, the national question. Uh, and, but, you know, uh, I found out that there are uh, at least two major approaches to resolution of this conflict. One is uh, internationalism and the other is nationalism itself. Uh, uh, my acquaintance with Marxism through one of my professors at Tehran University uh, helped me uh, move away from nationalism. Uh, this was uh, the main thing. But uh, I learned a lot from the experience of other peoples, including actually Israelis, uh, Israeli Jews, and uh, Jews that are not in Israeli. People like Israel Shahak, Yuri Davis, Ilan Pape, Yehudi Benohin, his father, and many, many others, names that you are all familiar with. I learned a lot from their experiences of uh, critiquing their own uh, nation, nationalism, and uh, the politics of the Israeli state. 
I remember 1956 when Israel, together with France and Britain, attacked uh, Egypt. I was 13 years old at the time. I remember the 1967 war, and at the age of 25, uh, I went to Dachau, the first, uh, uh, the first uh, concentration camp the Nazis set up. And I saw the gas chambers and uh, the evidence of what they did to uh, Jewish uh, enemies. That uh, experience uh, shaped me radically. Uh, for a couple of days, I couldn't even eat and drink. And it became part, part of my uh, life and politics. So, uh, and uh, I began my current understanding of the problem dates back to early 1970s when I learned about the conflict through two American friends of mine who are still uh, living and I'm still in contact with them. But of course, I began studying the question academically and engaging in solidarity activities while a student in the United States, and later I taught about the conflict. So this briefly my background and my approach to the question uh, may be different from uh, that of uh, many uh, advocates of Palestinian rights today. Uh, let me go back to the 20th century. Most of us remember 20th century, some 12 years ago. Uh, the 20th century was the era of two world wars, uh, European uh, capitalist powers. Uh, launched these wars. Some 80 million were killed in the First World War and uh, some 55 million in the Second one. Also, it was an era of numerous local and uh, regional wars. We all remember America's involvement in Vietnam, France, and Algeria, and many other wars. Also, several genocides, the Armenian Genocide, the Holocaust, uh, the Kurds uh, in Iraq, Rwanda, and many others. Also, the era of the use of the first nuclear bomb, the United States, which is a responsible democracy, dropped bombs on a country that was on the verge of uh, surrendering in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, but also, uh, the 20th century was the era of national liberation movements in Asia, Africa, Latin America, the fall of the uh, Ottoman Empire, uh, the remapping of the world by uh, France and uh, Britain in the wake of the uh, First World War. Uh, it was also the era of socialism, the first uh, uh, socialist revolution, if we don't consider the Paris Commune of 1871 as a socialist revolution. Russia, the revolution in Russia was the first step of the humanity to create a new world. It's true that it did not succeed, but it was a major step in world history. And then China in 1949, that too did not succeed, but these were major events in the history of the world. And of course, the revolts of the 1960s, some of us remember them. Uh, so the 20th century was the era of the conflict of internationalism and nationalism. Uh, one major development in the 20th century was the transformation of the most oppressed people, the Jews, uh, into an oppressive nation state. That's how I summarized the Jewish experience in the 20th century. The Jewish people who were subjected to the longest hatred, this is the name of a documentary, 
subjects of two pogroms, uh, innumerable pogroms, genocides, ethnocide, linguicide. They turned into a nation state in 1948 uh, through the efforts of uh, Zionism and the Zionist movement. And uh, as, uh, as a result, it uh, turned into an oppressive nation. I'll later talk about this. Uh, some of us will remember that in uh, the early 20th century, there was a rich debate among the East European and Russian social democrats, or socialists and communists, about the national question. Uh, the Bolsheviks argued that the Jews did not constitute a nation because the Jews lacked two requirements of nationhood. One was that they didn't have a common territory, the other was that they did not have a common language. But uh, by this time, 1913, this was the famous article of Stalin on Marxism and National Question. Designers from Eastern, mostly from Eastern Europe, were already occupying Palestine, and uh, soon the Israeli state turned Hebrew into a national language. So the Jewish nation, according to the Marxist theory, was formed by that time. But uh, the creation of this Israeli state was, as I mentioned, under conditions when human beings in other parts of the world had already taken the first steps towards eliminating national divides and national borders. The very, very name of the Soviet Union, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, this is the only country name that does not refer to any land. It's a Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Again, this was uh, a, a major achievement of internationalism. Well, no doubt the aspirations of the Jewish people to emancipate from anti-Semitism and the national oppression in Europe and elsewhere were always present, and especially in the wake of the Holocaust, the worst uh, genocide that we know about. However, I would say it was not these aspirations that laid the foundations of Israel. I think Benny Morris is right when he says that the creation of the Israeli state could not succeed without massacres and other atrocities. And actually, many states were formed like that. They were formed in wars. Uh, however, it's uh, also uh, obvious that I would say the, continued, uh, the continuation of the production of the Israeli nation state cannot happen without ethnic cleansing or crimes crimes against humanity, ethnocide, ethnocide, and apartheid. If the foundation was laid like this, its reproduction, I would say, depends on all of this. Uh, this was a process in which uh, Jews from many parts of the world were uh, encouraged to come to Palestine in order to colonize the land and in order to bring them under the flag of the Jewish bourgeoisie. While the Jewish people in Europe and elsewhere were a major force in the struggle for democracy, socialism, internationalism, and other progressive causes, now they were citizens of a state that could not deliver emancipation. A nation that oppresses another nation cannot be free. Uh, Israel, from its uh, very inception, became part of European colonialism. We all know that it helped uh, European colonial powers in Africa and Asia. It had close alliance with South African uh, apartheid, 
was given uh, weapons to uh, colonial states in Africa and elsewhere in Latin America, close alliance with US imperialism, and uh, it continues to do so. Uh, but you know, if this is the case, uh, and I think there's abundant evidence that this is the case, so I mentioned uh, briefly, what are the implications uh, of the transformation of the Jewish people from an, uh, the most oppressed nation into uh, an oppressive nation state. Uh, I would say that for Jewish activists and groups, and also for Palestinian activists and groups, and the two are not tied together, there is no way we can separate them. I think for the Jewish activists and groups, uh, it means that they should distance themselves from Zionism and uh, state structure. And this can be done only by advocating the sovereignty of the Palestinian people, I mean full statehood if possible. I say possible because you cannot establish a state on what remains from Palestine. Uh, and I advocate single state solution, not uh, two state solution. But anyway, uh, I think Jews, if they want to they distance themselves from this nation state and its politics, they have to, they should advocate with our condition sovereignty of the Palestinian people, which means full statehood, not a system of municipalities, as the Israeli state uh, thinks about Palestinian statehood. It also means advocating the right of return of Palestinian refugees. It also means advocating the dismantling of the apartheid regime, uh, Israeli apartheid regime. It also means advocating the right of revolution for Palestinians. The Palestinians are an occupied, oppressed people uh, according to international law. They are entitled to a revolution against the occupier. And this means armed struggle, though this doesn't mean blowing uh, up citizens, buses, etc. That certainly will not be acceptable under any conditions. Uh, so, uh, all of this amounts to internationalism. I think internationalism is not just solidarity. Solidarity is very important and it will be discussed in the next few days here. Uh, solidarity is indispensable, solidarity with uh, Palestinian struggles. But that's not enough. The Palestinian and Jewish peoples are not separable today. There is no way that the Palestinian struggle can succeed without Jewish people's participation in it. The two peoples are tied together now. Um, uh, revolutionary transformation uh, of this uh, terrible situation requires that people themselves should transform and they should advocate internationalism and solidarity is uh, part and parcel of it. But real internationalism means uh, doing something for the Jews. It means doing, dealing seriously with uh, the nation state of Israel and dismantling this, this regime of apartheid. Uh, 
for Palestinian, it means uh, uh, internationalism means definitely exercising the democratic right of the colonized people to engage in uh, revolution, which means also the emancipation of the Jewish people from this nation state and living together with the Jewish people. And then the acceptance of the presence of the Jews uh, as one of the two major peoples in uh, Palestine. Uniting with the Jewish people to dismant, uh, to the apartheid regime and replacing it with a democratic, secular regime, not just any regime. You know, we cannot uh, be, Palestinians cannot be quite democratic if they don't set up such a, a democratic, secular regime. Uh, all of this means that uh, uh, distancing themselves from Palestinian bourgeoisie and its politics and uh, opposing the progressive politics and methods of struggle that have been hurting the Palestinian people so far. But you may ask me, is this possible? Is this realistic? I would say, uh, yes, it is both possible and realistic. In the 1960s, some of you may remember, one slogan was, be realistic, demand the impossible. It's possible in our world to eliminate hunger. It's definitely possible. 3% of the labor force of the United States works on agriculture and it feed, and this agriculture feeds not only the 300 million people of the United States, but much of it is exported. Here in Canada, 5% of the labor force works in agriculture and feeds 32 million and more than that, and it's exported. But why hunger is not eliminated? Why historically it's possible? The same with national oppression, with genocide, with uh, racism, uh, with apartheid. Yes, we understand apartheid and we can eliminate it. The Jewish people more than any other people can do it because they have suffered from it throughout their history. Uh, and, uh, you know, Marx said human beings, uh, he said men, of course, at that time, language was not gender. Uh, gender was equal. Human beings make their own history, but they do not make it just as they please. They do not make it under conditions chosen by themselves, but under conditions directly encountered, given, and transmitted from the past. We uh, inherit the world that uh, other people created, but we are also part of it. So. What uh, independent Jewish voices and similar organizations and other groups like, you know, Refuseniks, what and many, many others do it, uh, it's in this direction that we are capable of making our history. We are in the majority. And the uh, Occupy movement, they, uh, last year, they raised this question. 99% of the people are on this side, and 1% is on the other side. If this is the case, why can, why it's not possible? Why it's not realistic to demand the dismantling of Israeli apartheid and create a new world? I would say that the Arab Spring, although for me, for both the Arab Spring and the Occupy movement, 
had problems, serious problems, in terms of the, not uh, in terms of their politics. But they showed at least that it's possible for the people to rise up and rise up in great numbers in groups in uh, you know the creating social movements, opposition movements that would result in uh, change. Uh, if they had the right politics, uh, the changes would have been much more drastic than what we have. The changes today, are, as we see it, are not that promising. Uh, but uh, what uh, if uh, someone uh, a, a year ago during the Arab Spring raised this question? Uh, what if uh, the Palestinian refugees, some four million of them in countries neighboring Israel, if they decide to march on Israel and go back to their homes? Is it possible? Is it realistic? I think after the Arab Spring, we should say yes, it's possi possible and it's realistic. The question is, do we want this politics? Do we want to advocate it? Do we want to struggle for it? I think we should. Thank you.